Ever wonder what makes the greats great? What makes the successful successful? What makes the brilliant brilliant? Our Tuesday meetups with the celebrities of pharma industry and science are your one-stop shop to all these answers and more. Join us for Pies of Life, an initiative of the Biopatrika Industry Mentorship Program, where we bring your dream mentors to you. So, so yeah, so I I grew up in Bombay. I um I was there um till. I was in eighth grade, and then I moved here. Well, we we moved to Germany first, stayed there for a couple of months before we moved to the United States. So um, when we moved to the United States, we directly moved to California. So we, we've been in the Silicon Valley since I since since I've been here, and my journey has literally taken me up and down the coast of California. I have not left California, so I am by heart more of a Californian than I am Indian. Like I've spent more more time here than I have. uh back in india so um so yeah my you know for for me i really um you know my my love for biology actually started when i was in fourth grade so like when i was back in in school in india and um for me like you know i i obviously when you're a child you're just kind of curious by the world around you and so for for me like the first kind of that that moment when you're like oh my god like this is what i want to study or do this is my field um i think came to me when i was um i was literally like peering under the microscope and we were looking at we were studying microorganisms at the time we were drawing drawing like paramecians and amoebas and um and you know we we saw an amoeba like under the microscope and for me like it was so just so kind of mind boggling that you had to peer through and you something else to find a completely different world right and so for for me um that was really kind of my inspiring moment to say oh my god like i want to study this different world uh, that you can't see with your naked eye you have to look at it from a completely different perspective so that's really where my journey started and i won't go through all my years i'll kind of jump over through high school so for for me um i i'll start you know a couple years back uh, during my uh my bachelor's i uh, got my bachelor's uh in the field of genetics uh, from uc davis i got a minor in psychology because at that time i wanted i thought i could be a genetic counselor uh because that was the big and hot thing that was happening in the field um then when i started to actually look for jobs um and i i i'd been in research i'd been doing research and involved with uh you know kind of research labs when i was doing my bachelor's as well so i said hey you know let me some let me see what i can continue in the field of research i love biology i love the sciences uh, where can i go with there and when i was trying to get a job it it was very evident that a bachelor's degree in genetics was not going to get you any fancy spot in a lab and you were going to end up washing dishes for a while. So I said okay, you know, it's of having a bachelor's degree is like having a high school diploma. Like nobody cares. It doesn't mean anything in the field of science. Um and so for me I said, you know, if I if I love the science so much, um why not either think about a master's degree or a PhD. And at that time this was 2000 2008 and this is when, you know, the the the, the bubble burst, right? And and the, the stock market crashed and I said, "Okay, great. I'm going to go into the PhD program because it's going to pay me a stipend and I'm not going to have to worry about work and I have some income coming through." I kid you not, that was the first thought in my head. Um of course with the fact that hey, I'm going to get out with a degree that's probably the highest degree that you can have in the field of biology like there's nothing else you can do beyond this point. So I got my my uh, my PhD from City of Hope. City of Hope has a very specialized um uh graduate program that's uh it's a very small uh select group of people. They have only about 20 to 25 PhDs that they select from around the world. Um and you get to work with um researchers, you know, like Dr. John Rossi who is just this such a huge KOL in the field of HIV uh you get to work with Dr. Arthur Riggs who was one of the first people to work with Genentech to really um formulate the the human insulin right that Genentech now makes so much money off of so you really get to work with some of those key um visionaries and people who kind of set the stage for the field of biotechnology so i started um i started uh you know my phd program and about a year in um i said hmm i still love the science 
but I want to do more. Like, I want to take this outside the lab. I can't live inside a lab. <laughs> like, there, there's, I have to step outside of this world. And so for me, uh, luckily, um, City of Hope was offering a sponsor, a scholarship essentially with the Keck Graduate Institute, the Claremont Colleges. And this was essentially an MBA program that they were offering for PhD students. And this was for free. And I'm like, yay, free education, go for it. I, so I did that. So with that, I got to work with um, startups like Caltech. I got to work uh, and really understand kind of City of Hope's model for how they work with pharma companies. And I really saw a completely different side of the bio of, of this biotech world, right? Like we're part of research, but how does research turn from bench to bedside? You know, what is that journey? How do these companies get involved? I started to get a completely different side of the story. And I said, hmm, I want to go there. I don't want to stay in the lab. And I, I made up my mind. And then from there, my journey was to finish my PhD. And in the meantime, get as much information as I could, gather as much knowledge as I could um, about the industry space and, and then really think about, well, where, where do I want to go? What do I want to do, right? So when I graduated, um, the year that I was graduating, I started to feverishly look for internships. I was just like applying like, like a mad woman, like looking at all the internships. I was randomly contacting people, Narain was one of them, to say, I want to set up informational interviews. Luckily, I knew someone that knew him. And so there was a networking that happened. And Narin was, was one of the people that actually helped me really, um, you know, get to speak to some of the people that are in roles right now that I'd be interested in, right? So what, what does this look like? Like if you're in regulatory affairs, what is the day-to-day -day that you do? If you're in uh, medical affairs, what does every day look like? If you're in R&D, what does every, every day look like uh, for you? And then that was something I wanted to really understand and say, okay, well, here is maybe where I want to go. And a lot of people, you know, kind of told me, hey, the path usually for PhDs is get into the lab, get into R&D, and then build your way out, right? Like then find those opportunities. And once you're inside the organiz or, or organization, then you can kind of um, uh, find your way there. And I, I was yeah. just like, yeah, but I still don't want to do that. Like, I, I don't want to be near the lab anymore. Like, I just, I want to tell the world about all this amazing research we're doing. Um, and that was what drove me, like this, this want, this drive to really tell people um, everything that was happening in the world of science, right? There's so much discoveries and so much that happens. And I think of um, researchers as really unsung heroes because uh, we've spent our lives in basements, getting up at 3 a.m., feeding those cells, like, you know, propagating cell lines and, you know, dealing with that fungus infestation, like whatever it is, like we've spent our lives doing that for maybe a paper that comes out in like once every five years that's so seminal to our, to our fields. And people don't see that. People don't see the impact that we have. And that's what I've been wanting to share with the world. So that's what drove me. And um, I was lucky to find an internship uh, at Illumina as part of their scientific affairs team. Um, but the internship was very interesting. It was called a product marketing intern. So it had nothing to do with scientific affairs, but it was product marketing intern. That's where I got to work with my first manager in industry. Um, and he really, he really was the one that broke my mold. Uh, when you're in research, you present things in a specific way, you talk in a specific way, you think in a specific way. And within three months, six, or actually six months, he really broke my mold. He turned me into, he turned me from someone that was a PhD who just graduated to someone that is able to really communicate science, but for business, for, 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 for a company, right? Because we have to make, help make them money at the end of the day, but not in, not in a wrong way, not in a misleading way, more in an educational way. So um, I, I did my internship. Um, I got to meet. I, in, during that time, I networked with people. I, my goal was to meet at least two people every week. I would find people in the office. I would go say hi to them. I'd ask them for coffees and lunches. Um, through that great point, I got to meet um, the Associate Director of Scientific Affairs, who hired, who just ha happened to have a position that opened up right when my internship ended. And he was like, Swati, I got a role for you. And I was like, yes, of course. Why, why, why wouldn't I take that? So that's how I got into scientific affairs. And I was part of Illumina scientific affairs team for about, um, about two years. 
and this was global scientific affairs. So I worked with researchers all around the world. I traveled quite a bit. I presented Illumina's research at different uh, different institutions and uh, with you know four different customers showing applications across the field. From there. I really went on to take a role at Thermo Fisher. And so here, what I was doing was I was really expanding my, my kind of product knowledge, right? Like going from just NGS platforms to like everything that you can think about, <laughs> like Thermo sells everything, right? Like Thermo sends, sells uh, those, uh, those PCR instruments, real-time PCR instruments. You got microarrays, you got panels, you got NGS, you got the whole workflow essentially from sample to answer truly. So that's where I got to learn a little bit more about how to how to think about things as workflows for specific customers, right? Like, um, you know, I don't know if you're doing, uh, I don't know if you guys are doing a specific uh, experiment, uh, you know, based on your experiments, you're going to have very specific needs versus if Ryan's doing a, a specific study, he has very specific needs or, or Ekta is doing a specific study, very specific needs. So how to think about, think like a researcher based on my experience and then say, hey, maybe here's the workflow that's gonna be best for you. And here's the workflow that's gonna be best for you. And it's more education, right? Like it's not coercing, but it's to say, what about this? And that's really uh, a lot of the work I did. I, it was, my title was market development manager, which is essentially what I did. I developed these markets and these customer use cases and applications for the different technologies. And then I ended up taking a role within Thermo, a different division, for global marketing manager. So <laughs> I literally took very big steps. I was lucky enough to get those opportunities to take those big steps. Um, but my global marketing manager role was three product lines. Each product line had many SKUs, so many sub products underneath it. And I had up the marketing team for essentially the entire uh, division there for, for that specific business. So it was definitely a huge learning curve, a huge learning opportunity for me loved my time there um but i took that learning and I, I wanted to learn more i wanted to explore the the field of diagnostics ended up going to uh, genomic health which is now acquired by exact sciences and actually Ikta, this is why i was i was smiling when you you talked about prostate cancer i actually commercialized the arv7 test uh, for prostate cancer so this is a test for metastatic castration resistant prostate cancer here in the us and we sold that test to urologists and oncologists it was the first liquid biopsy test that genomic health uh, essentially commercialized and it was a test that they developed in partnership with another company so we really got to work with the c-suite teams of both companies to talk about you know what is the market how is the market changing what do we how, you know, well, how do we keep up with the studies? How do we keep up with these drugs that are getting approved? You know, how does this, how does this change the NCCN guidelines? So on and so forth. So it was a lot of understanding the market trends and really pulling that into the work that we're doing with with researchers. From there, I ended up uh, transitioning to a role here at Adaptive Biotechnologies uh, to head up the um, life science research uh, business as head of marketing. Uh, so I head up. Uh, global marketing here for uh, the life sciences research business, which is the ImmunoSeq business. It is a research use product, but it's essentially uh, the way our academic customers like to think about it is essentially TCR-seq. So we look at T-cell receptors and we perform immunosequencing um, and have a, have a lot of products and services that, that really uh, researchers use to study everything from autoimmune diseases like Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, uh, lupus, all the way to immuno-oncology. Uh, there's cardiology uh, papers that I recently read as well, but everything across the board um, has just implications wherever researchers are studying the adaptive immune system. So I spent a lot of time going through like details. I'm happy to <laughs> dive into anything specifically, uh, but I did just want to give an overview of where I've come from and what I've done and what, what my journey has been um, th through those last like couple of years. Great. Hey, let's start with Sharada. Sharada. What would be the major, main uh, skill that you learned in transversing across these um, different roles? Like, what would be one thing that you you think was the major learning part after PhD? And I know we are trained so hard during PhD, and like be in the lab to pay attention to details. I, I, you were saying, have you dealt with a number of products and you faced so many people like trying to explain a broad range of products where I think the details 
matter, but it, it's more of an overview. Like, how, how could you do that? How, how yeah. what helped you do that? No, that's a, that's a great question, Sharda. And that's actually something that I continue to work on uh, because it's, it's just inherently part of my nature to dive into the details and be like, that paper, what did they use? What was the solution they used? And, I'm, and I'm, I have to tell myself, I shouldn't care. It doesn't matter. What was the takeaway? And how do I now build a story out of this? Um, marketing is all about storytelling, right? At the end of the day, and we as humans are tied to stories. We, we connect with stories, we relate to stories. So for, for me, it was really to, you know, one of the skills that I've been able to kind of build on and develop over the years is really, how do I take complex information, simplify it, complex so enough, enough that I know the details. So if anyone asks me, I don't look like an idiot, but you know, I know what I'm talking about, but, but, but simple enough so it's easily translatable for someone that maybe is not from the field, to just get it like immediately, um, and that's really what I've 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 needed to develop, and that's that's where you know it's been a skill that I've continued to develop and continue to grow, and I think it's going to be, it's really important in actually any field or any kind of um, uh, job that anyone takes up in industry, right? You you have to be able to connect with people that are non scientists, and you will meet people, not everyone in the industry is PhDs. Uh, my entire marketing team is non-PhDs. <laughs> my, my VP of the business is a non-PhD. Um, so, you know, our, our leadership team, uh, many of them are non-PhDs. So how do you connect with them so that you get the message across and you get them the message that is what they need to hear, right? So audience specific messaging, right? Yeah, yeah great question. Um, Arun, you wanna ask? While you're sure. uh, so, I had something uh, related to marketing, Swati. So, uh, I, I know uh, you got your uh, kick school uh, degree after the PhD, right? Uh, so, that certainly helps you to uh, get out of the mold of being a PhD kind of mindset and then get more of a business acumen. So, with someone who doesn't have that opportunity, like us, what would you refer us to? Like, is there some kind of an um, uh, course or is there some kind of an uh, learning platform which PhDs can use to hone their marketing and business skills? Uh, and, and to add to that, uh, I, I have been uh, active with the UPEN Consulting Club uh, because consulting is another career which I'm considering be, uh, besides medical affairs. Uh, which also consulting also requires considerable business acumen. Uh, so I'm doing that, but, but is there anything that you would recommend uh, for uh, bettering our business acumen? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I hadn't thought about that until very like a couple years ago when I'm thinking about like jobs and careers and career changes. Um, and I, I'm actually surprised that that experience. So I, I did it with my PhD. So I did my PhD and the MBA at the same time uh, in parallel. And so um, for me, I think um, it helped me just understand the different elements that we have to think about. You know, you got to think about finance, you got to think about revenue, you got to think about product development, you got to think about product life cycle. If you think about, you know, marketing, you got to think about organizational behavior, uh, you know, how companies are built, how teams are built. Because as you grow in your career, those are like the soft skills that you have to think about and, and just, just, the, just the things that you'll need to have a better impact on the organization overall, right? So I, I think you know, something I do regularly or I try to do regular, regularly is there's a whole ton of courses on Udemy and Coursera um, that are not that expensive. Um, you know, there's uh, courses on Udemy, like I think the one I recently, I just took this like last year. It's like um, MBA in a box, right? Like it just essentially goes through some of the basic elemental things that you just need to understand the concepts of. I hate finance, by the way. I hate it. Like someone said with a balance sheet, I'm sleeping. Like, I'm like, I don't care. I, this is not what I studied. I did not spend five years of my life in a PhD to do that. Like that's someone else can do it. But, but I think understanding like how revenue is recognized, um, you know, understanding some of the concepts um, is definitely helpful because, you know, when it comes up in conversation or when someone refers to it, then you have the knowledge, right? Like to speak to it or understand it. I think, um, I, I mean, I, I, I can't speak to the value of an MBA course because there's 
many around that people can take that cost an arm and a leg. And I took this because it was really a free opportunity for me. It was, if it wasn't free, would I do it? Probably not. Um, you know, I think, uh, and, and I think, you know, in, in the industry, it's becoming more relevant now that people are saying, yeah, you know, an MBA is good, but everyone gets an MBA. Like it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> like everyone has an MBA. It's like a high school diploma, right? Like everyone has one. So uh, think about, you know, I think it's more about how you apply that knowledge than it is the fact that you have it. And, and you can always, right? Like I think LinkedIn allows you to put on your resume, right? Like I took this course, I have a certification. So definitely leverage, that's another, that's another area of marketing. You got to market yourself, right? You got to show that you have those skills. So it's also about how you show the world that you have the, the, the skills and the chops to do what is required. I was going to ask a follow-up question if Narayan allows me. Uh, I did yeah, note that. Only uh, few persons, yeah, go ahead. I did note uh, a couple of Coursera certifications which you had, Swati, in the LinkedIn. So that's actually why I thought I will ask you about this. So how do people uh, value this? Meaning, of course, we can market uh, by saying that we have this knowledge of this field. Uh, we certainly can improve our understanding, but how, how do, as a recruiter or as a manager who is hiring a person for this position, do they value this uh, uh, considerably? Of course, it's not equivalent to taking a course, uh, I like doing an MBA physically as opposed to taking a course that are Udemy, right? How is it valued? How is it considered? I think it depends on the job, right? Like um, now, if you apply for, um, for a medical science liaison or a scientific affairs role, PhD is more important than an MBA, right? Like that's just the, the way of business, um, like marketing. Um, I don't care if someone has an MBA or not. It is a nice to have. I look at the experience that they have. I look at the work they've done. Um, for product management, you probably need an MBA. Uh, not, not an MBA, but at least a knowledge of it because it's more about uh, building models, right? Like it's about building the forecast. It's about forecasting commercial sales and, you know, saying, okay, yeah, if we don't get this specific um, uh, target uh, segment of customers, we might not make our goal for the year. And so a lot of that is projection and a lot of that requires certain modeling skills, which uh, I definitely don't have and I don't plan to have that. But, you know, I definitely am interested. So I want to learn so that if someone shows me a, a model, I'm like, okay, I get what you're showing me. I get what you've done. If you ask me to build it, I'm not going to build it. But at least I have the knowledge to speak to it. But um, understand the concepts. Um, I think, you know, once you're in a role, like if you if you go and take up a medical uh, science liaison role or a medical affairs role, um, then you know you then it's really you, right? You're you're in the company, then it's really you working with other uh, or other functional teams to show what you have to offer. That's really where you can shine, right? Like you can the the, the way you you share feedback or the way you uh, think or you where, share perspectives. Um, that's really where you're going to be able to show. Um, you know, hey, I might not have an MBA, but I have the knowledge <laughs> that's needed to make certain decisions. So I don't, I think it depends on the job, number one. And I think it depends on, um, it also depends on kind of who's hiring. Like a lot of, uh, I, I've, I've noticed this sometimes um, there's a certain generation, uh, it's, it's a bit of the older generation that, you know, believes strongly in having an MBA you know, and they're like, no, I have to have someone that has an MBA. They will write it in the job description and MBA is necessary. And I'm like, seriously, like, I don't have an MBA and I've come this far. So, um, but it's, it's not necessary uh, in, in my opinion. Um, I might be wrong, but at least in my opinion, it's not necessary. Do I plan to get one? No, I don't want to waste my time getting an MBA. Um, but as long as you learn on the job, you ask questions and you learn from other people, you'll automatically get the knowledge that you need, right? That the company needs at the time, right? Uh, and, and that's how you can apply that, uh, that knowledge immediately as well. Okay, yeah. So you said you um, decided that you knew you didn't want to do bench science and be at the bench doing that type of research. Um, so was that was there any single moment that kind of defined that decision for you or feeling that defined that? Yeah, um, you know, when, when I, I think about um, kind of my life, 
right? Like when, when you're in the lab, you think about what am I going to do next? What does my life look like? Um, when I looked at researchers, the postdocs, the PIs, the professors around the campus, around the lab, I said, that's what my life is going to look like. Wow, that doesn't look happy. <laughs> that was really my, my defining moment. I was like, yeah, no, <laughs> my postdoc, the one who was my mentor, you know, comes into the lab at like 8 a.m., leaves at 8 p.m. every single day, really doesn't have, you know, has, has a wife, has, has a family, but is really not able to spend the time that he would want to because he's so like busy with this research, which is necessary, right? I, 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 I mean, I salute the researchers that are currently doing all this work, absolutely. But for me, I, I wanted to think about how do I take the, this knowledge that I've gained and I share it, apply it so that I can help that transition from bench to bedside faster. Ryan, you want to ask a follow-up on that since I don't ask one? <laughs> uh, no, I'm just wondering. I was trying to compare maybe your experience to my experience and see, you know, yeah, if there was any we, advice we, there. We, yeah, you know, we we'll do we'll do multiple rounds. So, so Ekta, go ahead. Yeah. So I have a hypothetical question. So you said you got that internship and then a job opened up and you got into this job. So something like related to me. So I have, I have been in this field of science for four years after my PhD and I love doing bench work. Like I, this is what I love, but definitely, as you mentioned, I also don't want my life to be like my PA's life who is like full-time doing science. And I want to come, I, I like communicating with people, talking to people. So I did this course of regulatory affairs through regulatory affairs professional society, which is like an online one year course. And now I'm thinking in this direction of switching into that direction of uh, for for my future job in india but i'm still not sure about it so my question and i didn't get any opportunity of doing any internship firstly due to covid and secondly since we have visa issues and all these things so my question was if you would have not got that opportunity how easy you, it would be for you to switch both uh, scientifically as well as personally yeah you mean um if after my internship i didn't get the scientific yeah. affairs role right yeah, I, I've never thought about it, um, to be very honest. Uh, I think life happens for a reason. And uh, I, I have to tell you, I was telling Narain this um, when we were chatting about you know, this, this call itself. And I said, Narain, you know, I have to tell you, I've been very lucky in life. Um, I have, I've just been lucky being at the right place at the right time and, the right, and taking up the right opportunities. Um, uh, and, and for me, I think if it, I mean, look, um, I'm the kind of person that does not give up. I'm pretty relentless. So if not at Illumina, I probably would have tried to get an opportunity elsewhere. It probably would have been a little bit more junior, um, but it would not have stopped me. I would not have gone back to the lab if if that's the if that that makes makes sense. But um, I definitely would have continued down. I probably would have, you know, um, done something else. I would have done something myself. Um, I have done a few, you know, kind of gone down the path of trying to write my own blog after I had gone down the path of trying to do my own podcast and videos and you know um I probably would have done something myself yeah because my that, that was my next follow-up question that in, in this whole journey did you ever feel that lab would have been better like would have got you much better now <laughs> never <laughs> yeah never <laughs> hey, yeah. hey Shad, uh, uh, um I'm going to ask you to, I, I asked you this before, so can you, can you talk about, you know, your brother and then, you know, what, how that led to the completely different path for you and, and how that yeah. changed you and, and you know, that, that's, maybe you can speak about that a little bit. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I, I lost uh, my brother um, in 2000. Um, to, you know, we, we lose track of time because we feel like it's just happened yesterday, but um, in 2015. And, um, and so he was 23 when we lost him and he and I are not that far apart in, in years. So um, we, we suddenly lost him. He was an athlete. Um, he did the sport called dragon boating. Uh, maybe some of you are familiar with it. Uh, if not, uh, we'll pull up a a picture to show you exactly what it yeah, is. Yeah, we some pictures at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. And and um. And and he was um, uh, essentially and I don't know how to say this. He was essentially one of the one of the one of the 
top ranked paddlers in the state of California. And he, across all the kind of paddling sports, whether it was, there's multiple different paddling sports, right? Like you have outrigger, you have dragon boating. So anyway, he was, um, he was on his way to the uh, world championships, which is essentially the Olympics of dragon boat. Uh, and he, um, you know, instead of, you know, he, he was supposed to go to the Olympics uh, in 2015 and um, we lost him in January and the Olympics were sort of <laughs> in August and his, um, uh, the head coach, uh, you know, approached me and said, I luckily, like, interestingly enough, also used to be, I was also doing dragon boating, but I was doing it more like as a stress relief. I joined dragon boating during my PhD days to literally just find a way to get out of the lab. I was in LA, I was like, we're near the beach. I never get to see it. Why am I here? So I, I you know, I really tried dragon boating as, as a way to de-stress. And for me, it was more of a, of a, of a leisure activity. I never thought of it as a competitive thing per se. So when, when we lost our brother, my, uh, my, my younger brother, um, the head coach, like reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, like, um, I'd like to, you know, like because my my brother was supposed to go, you know, his seat is going to be empty. But you know, obviously, we need to find another paddler. But you know, we want you to come with us. Um, and he paid for my entire flight ticket and everything. This was in Poland, and so he paid for everything: my hotel stay, the the four days the the championship was at, and the the, the there there were these um there were these tryouts in in Philly, uh, and and he paid for everything. And so he really made a he made me a part of that that family right like the team usa family and um and i was i i went you know i i was like oh crap i better start like learning how to paddle <laughs> like, i if i have to do something i have to be able to at least get on the boat and paddle so i then i started training but you know it was just four 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 or five months before the event so i trained um and i was doing other kind of uh, replacement like um activities and eventually he ended up um, asking me to be the team lead for the women's team. And I said, of course, whatever you need, I'm here to help. You tell me what you need from me. And I will, I, I just want to make sure that we're here to support the team at the end of the day. We went to Poland. Uh, we won um, two silvers and a bronze and we came back. And then um, from that time on, I was, I just had this like burning itch to, <laughs> to, to want to, really do it but really 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 do it like really mean something to the team really give something back to the team and for me um the next olympics per se is in 2018 so two two years later um and in 27 in 20 in 2017 i took a year off because i just needed to just deal with you know everything that was going on and just kind of try to get life back together and then in 2017 i just started to paddle I just had this love for the water. I did various different sports. I started to get back on the water and I just felt very like um, connected. So I said, okay, you know, this is fun. I can do this. And I started to go to races. I started to become part of bigger teams. I started to become better. Um, and that just gave me a little bit more confidence in what I could achieve. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna actually try out. Like I'm actually gonna try out and I'm really, really gonna mean it. I'm gonna give it my best shot. And I trained, I trained for it every single day, heading up to the tryouts. And before the tryouts were even um, established or announced, the head coach called me and told me, hey, you know, we're, you, you've helped us in the past, uh, you know, for Team USA, uh, we were looking for help uh, in the state of California. Uh, do you think you might be able to help us? And I said, whatever you need, I am here. You ask me to go find you a dragon boat like training spot, I will do whatever you want. Like whatever I can do to help, I will help. Because I knew what this what this team meant to my brother and what it means to me and what they've done for me. So I was, I just wanted to be there for them. Um, so, so with that, I said, okay, I better start to get serious. <laughs> so my training journey started. And I'm not going to go into, into the details of that. Eventually we had our tryouts. And in the tryouts, I it was a three-day. <laughs> 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. training day uh, down in Long Beach during the hot weather. <laughs> this was in like April or, or, or May and it was really hot. But three days of intense training, um, I was selected to go to the um, actual tryouts that happened in, um, uh, in, in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, 
And there we had another five days of training, intense training and another selection that happened. And when the, the, the head coach, he came to me and I had no clue how I was doing. I'm just like, I'm going to, I'm just trying to do my best. And my back is hurting. My neck is about to crack, whatever it is, I'm going to do whatever it is I can. And he came to me and he said, um, he, before he announced it to every, anyone else, he came to me and he told me, um, you're selected to be on the team. And I just literally like gushing tears. I was like, what? Like, huh? He's like, yeah, you're, you're, you're on. And he's like this, this military guy, like, you know, he really doesn't express emotion, but he, um, he really, you know, he really, the, those words really were like, oh my God, like I made it. And, but the journey wasn't ended yet. Right. Like there was more to come. Because now you actually had to prove at the prove it at the races, right? You had you actually had to do something at the championships. So four days of races, continuous races, back to back to back, from 7 a.m. in the morning till 5, 6 p.m. in the evening. Hot, humid Atlanta weather, <laughs> super hot. And um, we came back home with, um, so I, I was part of the women's team. And so um, there's different kind of uh, types of women's team, but um, I was also, um, uh, and I missed this part of the story, but I was also asked to be the head coach for the state of California. So not only was I training myself, but I was training the team in California to be able to uh, build that Team USA team and be able to be a part of that. So we had 10 paddlers from, from California. I was training, was training myself, and then when we went to the championships, all the people that I trained were one of the top 10 in the list that, that, were, that were on the boat, which, which is a huge deal. So for me, um, you know, I was one of the top 10 women. Uh, the people I trained were part of the top 10 women. The men that I trained were on the top 10 men's list of across the ages. So it was just, it was just amazing to see, you know, when you when you put dedication and love and and just everything you have into it you just you just see it right you you don't need someone to tell you but you just see the results at the end of the day and we i, I was so excited um at, on the last day because i had no clue what the outcome was going to be when you have teams from ukraine russia italy france czech canada you you know uh, uh, Philippines oh my God Philippines is a crazy team super fast paddlers um, you have all these teams and you're against them and you have no clue what you're gonna get out and that's not the point though the point is to do your best and at the end we'll see what the results are but as long as you gave your best it doesn't matter um, luckily and th thank thank goodness but we we uh, the women's team came away with the most medals even even more than the men's team which is just usually doesn't happen that way. Women's team came away with two golds, a silver and two bronze medals, which is again, just a huge accomplishment for the team. But that's not it. There's also something called as the World Cup, which means the team that gets the most medals. And with the work that we had done and all these months and years leading up to that one three-day event, uh, we came away with the World Cup. Team USA won the World Cup. And so it was just this amazing journey and just everything I've learned. Um, being on that journey is something that, you know, I feel like I've, I can apply to my day-to-day -day life, right? Like whether it's the work we do, showing empathy, showing teamwork. Dragon Boot is all about teamwork. You can't, you're not a solo person. You know, you don't, you as an individual don't matter. You as a part of a team matter. So it's something that I'm able to pull into the day-to-day -day work I do with my team. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's really my story right. about dragon boating and um, how, how, you know, just, just having that vision, having a goal to reach towards is, is just so important in life. It's, it's very important. I'm going to give the first question to Ryan because I know this is, <laughs> this is Ryan's territory. Ryan, now you can tell her everything that you do now. It's all right. <laughs> I think that's really great. You know, I think one of the questions I kind of had for you before meeting you and hearing your story was, you know, how has what you experienced as part of dragon boating um, really applied to your, you know, day-to-day -day life and stuff? And I think you already answered that question uh, fairly obviously. Um, I guess another question for you would be, how did you find it 
in yourself to kind of push yourself harder than maybe what you're physically capable of or what you're mentally capable of, right? Because I guess yeah. when you started rowing, I, you didn't picture yourself winning the World Cup, you know? So I'm just wondering, it takes a lot of grit and a lot of determination to do that. How did you find the, that? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> That's, that's not easy, right? Like, you know, and, and it, it takes time, right? Like building that physical endurance, the physical like strength to do dragon boating is something that takes a lot of time. Um, I, I, I did dragon boating, so I was pretty good with my technique, um, but I was a little bad on the strength side and the endurance side. And that's really where I had to work. And I knew where my weakness was. So for me, my first step was really to say, okay, well, where do I need to work? okay, I need to work on endurance. I need to build strength. All right, now that I've built strength, now I need to get the muscle memory in. And, you know, they, they, they say, right, like it's, it's like the 6,000 6, hours of work or whatever. Uh, the more you repeat, the more your brain remembers. And that's the point that I had to get to. Um, that's how much I paddled. I was out on the water for three to four hours every day. Weekends was like five, six hours. So I was doing a lot of paddling, a lot of uh, training. And then that was outside of the training that I did, right? Like I had two kind of training sessions, one at 7 a.m. in the morning and one at the end of the day. And I was exhausted. I mean, I was tired. My body could not keep up. But, you know, you have to listen to your body. You got to take the time that you need to recover. But for me, honestly, Ryan, it was, um, it, it was, it was knowing that I had to achieve something. It was just this like relentless like need. It was just this drive. I, I couldn't I couldn't let it go. I couldn't like I couldn't build excuses. The excuses just would disappear. There was no such thing as an excuse. There was you know if I'm saying oh I'm so tired today I'm gonna like get up at like twenty to, you know twelve o'clock or something. Yeah that was not okay. That was just not okay because um, you know I knew that if I didn't do it <laughs> you know no one was, no one was going to like do it for me, right? Like you got to, you got to do it for yourself. You got to help yourself at the end of the day. So I think it's, it's, it's building that drive for yourself, building that positive self-talk saying that you can do it. Cause a lot of negative self-thought is also bad. So you, it's really about like, yeah, I can do it. I just, I just have to try it once more. I just got to go one more minute. I just got to do it for 30 more seconds. I just got to, you know, um, uh, get, get up, five more minutes early. Like it's literally small baby steps that actually get you from like point A to point B. And Nader and I were talking about baby steps just yesterday, but I think that's, that's really what it is. Um, it's, um, it, it takes, it takes time, but you have to invest um, in, in that time and you have to not have excuses. You have to be relentless to, to pursue that. That's a very good answer. Thank you. <laughs> Iktar, do you have anything or? You can pass. <laughs> I'm just imagining everything. How can somebody work so hard? Yeah. I'm very poor when it comes to physical work, like exercising. And I've never been to the gym, nothing like that. So it's a big deal for me. So I'm just imagining everything. Yeah. I, I have to say, I mean, you know, it, I like exercising. Like, I think it's a part of my life. Um, and I've always done it, right? Like um, when I was growing up, um, uh, when we were in high school, we did Taekwondo. So we, we, my brother and I, we were both black belts. So we've always done some sort of physical, you know, exercise. Mine keeps evolving with the year, whatever's hot on Beachbody. You know, it's it's really kind of evolving with what's the trend of the, of the year. I, I try different things, um, but I, I will not leave paddling. Right. Like, I think it's to find the one sport. I have seen people who've joined dragon boating who have never exercised in their life and their lives have changed because they love the sport so much. Again, dragon boating is a kind of sport that you either love or hate. So if you love it, you're going to do it's the high of winning the race. It's the high of getting off a boat. It's the high of having. 20 people around you working together in sync, you know, each stroke ha happening at the same time. But that's the finesse that you need that only comes with training, right? Like all this training leads to that two minute race. And even, it's really not even the two minute race, race. It's like the minute race and the 30 second finish. It's a 30 second finish where 
everything you've done comes into comes into play. So it's um, Shalga. I have to say, when you said you were relentless, I think you've proved how relentless you are. This is amazing. This is an inspiration. <laughs> and inspiration is an, an understatement. I, I don't have better words to say, actually. This is great. Um, I have a career-based question again. So, like, it's more like, I, I don't know, I'm just going to say how my situation is, and then make it a question. So, I'm currently in a job, which is I mean, I've been in I've been in that for a year, where I'm trying to become better in what I'm doing. But this is not what I want to completely do. My sights are set in some other area. What would your advice be for a person that's in my situation to manage time, or how do you manage your time with your family? How do you manage your time at work, and how do you manage getting going may taking courses or doing something to get to somewhere that you have to yeah um that's 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 a good 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 question Sharda. um you can do a lot of learning on the job there's right. a lot of learning that can happen on the job so find I, I would suggest that you look for those opportunities look for those projects that allow you to that challenge you, you have to get uncomfortable. Once you get comfortable, it's trying time to become uncomfortable. Um, for me, I can never become comfortable. That's just my mindset. Like if I if I become good at something, I'm like, I want something, I want something challenging. Like this, this is boring now. I can't do this anymore. So that's just the mindset you need to have. Um, so I would look for opportunities that are in your job. So then they're, they're, you know, there's something that's work related and, you know, your manager or, you know, is kind of seeing that, Hey, you know, this person's trying to get a little bit outside their comfort zone, trying to take those stretch projects. Um, I am of the belief that, um, you have to get better in your job first before you can try to do something else. Right. Because you got to master what you have right now and then build on that. Um, but but it's only if you want to go down that path. Um, if you don't want to go down that path, then maybe it's time to take up a project that's something different, right? Like you like maybe you're thinking about a career in marketing, for example, because uh, marketing requires a lot of content development, tons of writing, right? Um, maybe you're thinking about a career there. I would do a stretch project with someone like after you speak to your manager to say, hey, you know, I'm actually really interested in learning a little bit more about how these skills apply for like in, in the marketing function. So, you know, would it be would it be OK if I do a small project with them? And then that way you can then spend maybe two hours a week helping them. At the same time, what do you get in return? You get in return experience working with them, talking to them, listening to them, understanding how they think, um, and just you know seeing how something like a written piece gets gets from you know something that you write on a piece of paper or like word document to a final product, right? Like what is that journey? And then that's really going to help you understand the process too. So. That's what I would suggest, um, you know, just looking for opportunities that are in your job. That's the lowest hanging fruit. I do it all the time. Um, I am like this, the squirrel, like that's like working with product management going, hey, you're doing product development. I'm a PhD. I can help you use me, <laughs> literally use me, like pull me in, tell me where I can help you. And I, you, you know, I, I be, be of the helping mindset because you're always going to get something in return. Um, that's that's my recommendation. As as for time outside of work, um, you have to put non-negotiable time on your calendar. You just have to. Uh, it's it's my non-negotiable time to read a book. It's my non-negotiable time to study this. It's my non-negotiable time to take fifteen minutes of this course. Right, one step you know, is, is the first step you can take on a thousand mile journey, right? So take that one step and you don't have to do a one hour course every day, do a do 15 minutes of it, 15 minutes of it in five days, right. <laughs> you've completed like one fifth of the course in one month, you might've completed the whole course, or maybe in two months you've completed the whole course. It's right. not, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon, right? 
something very similar you probably touched upon that swati uh, this is about uh, your tips or your top recommendations for balancing life and the work uh, i see that you clearly have done that really well uh, and in, in a way you are uh, an inspiration for doing that well so what's your top suggestion for not feeling bad about doing something outside work because that's also important but at the same time the work demands are all, always increasing it's never going to decrease be it in academia or be it outside academia so how do you do that yeah that's that's a great question and and i have to tell you i mean you know i had to find my balance um i'm inherently a workaholic because i have to love what i do and if you love what you do it's it's a part of your life right like it is something that you're constantly thinking about so i have to build in time to my schedule and this is something that i continue to work on because there are weeks where we have product launches and i'm like i i can't like i cannot manage it. like i've i'm doing 18 hour shifts right now like i just i can't and that's fine like you are going to have that so be you're human <laughs> you're not a robot you're human and remember that so say it's okay um to you know sometimes work can get challenging and and it's okay but but you have to not make it a habit you say okay well i understand work was challenging this week but next week i need to get back on track for what i told myself i would do the following week i need to stay on track because work is going to happen like this so for for me you know i have taken more and more um uh, positions with more and more responsibilities pretty fast in my life like i've gone from scientific affairs to you know marketing market development to global marketing to you know managing this, this commercial product like in the diagnostic space and then now heading up a marketing team right so i've i've grown in responsibilities a lot and that has increased the amount of time that i spend right like at work that i need to spend at work so one thing is to be very um efficient in the work you do so really you know a lot of like i have to i have to put time on my calendar to be like I am blocking this time to do this part of my work. No one else is going to schedule time. I'm going to block this time to do that part of my work. No one else is going to schedule that time. And that holds me accountable and that tells me I have 1 hour to finish this. Start. Go. <laughs> finish. <laughs> and if I need more time, I'll schedule more time. But then I'm I'm making time for work and I don't allow that to bleed into my evenings. Um and the evenings I relatively have for myself. Uh, to a certain extent but i relatively have for myself where i can go for a walk i can see the sun <laughs> you know um i can i can maybe go out and paddle or or something so that's something you just have to understand kind of how you operate but you have to build in those fail safe mechanisms right you got to just put blocks on your calendar you got to put reminders on your calendar uh you got to have non negotiable times whether it's on the weekend where no one's supposed to touch you <laughs> um or or at the end of the day or even at the beginning of the day right get up at 5 a.m. like do 15 minutes of work do 15 minutes of exercise you're done you're done don't have to think about it for the rest of the day um you know you can start on on your work and you can set your pace So it's really getting getting control of your schedule which is I have to admit it's extremely challenging for challenging for me some days I'm not perfect I screw up some days I get up at 8:00 and I just I don't have time because the night before I've been working um but as long as I get back on track um you're human just say okay I slept yes but I needed that rest because my body has been working too hard let me just get back on track So be be forgiving to yourself for for those mistakes too. Thank you. Yeah. Um before I go into my last uh, rapid fire question that I'm going to ask you, uh is there any burning question that anyone has that they feel like they want to ask? Okay. Um I mean obviously you know I'm going to connect you to her so you you through LinkedIn and all you can always connect and you know continue your networking. Okay, ready Swati some for these seven questions that are going to come up for you, okay? And there's a the first one is an inside jokes. Uh, so you don't worry about it. Okay. You 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 have really nice hair. So the question is <laughs> what age did you have your worst hair? <laughs> Probably when I was young cuz I had this like bob cut that I've never gone back to. I I look like a boy. 
Like this is when I was a child in India. I think that's the only haircut they knew how to do back then. <laughs> I'm not that old, but. <laughs> no, no, you've, I mean, you've got a lot of experience. So, okay, the next question. Um, are you morning or a night person? I think I know the answer now. I'm a very night person. I'm a night owl. Is that right? I, I, with all the 5 a.m. things, I thought you would have been a four. Yeah, no, I, it's very hard for me. I don't always get up at 5 a.m. Sometimes I get up at 6 a.m. Um, but, uh, and actually 90% of the time I'm getting up at 6 a.m. But, um, but I'm a night post person. If I could stay up late at night, I'm so much productive at night. Like I, I can just okay. put on like, blinders and read papers. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, so, you know, you talked about Dragon Boat, uh, which is also fun, but what do you do for fun outside of like Dragon Boat? Or... <laughs> it's fun outside of Dragon Boat? I don't think in my life. Um, I think I, I I like to cook. I try different things. Um, I, I'm kind of the, the uh, I, I don't like to cook when someone's expecting food from me. I like to cook when I want to cook, but I feel like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a few corny questions like any, any person that you admire like one or two people that you think you'd admire and maybe yeah also. definitely in the recent years it's definitely been Dr. Fauci for sure you know standing up for mm -hmm. science um, really um, him holding up that one paper that was essentially the paper that we cited in every single thing that we did for for immunoseek as, as a business but um, I don't definitely have to say in the recent years it's been it's been Fauci for sure how about internationally? Um, I, 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 I don't think there's someone that comes to mind yet. Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Any, any, uh, you've given a lot of advice and, and what, what you've got and all that. Any, any specific mentor advice that you've got that you think sticks to you? Yeah, um, and I and I mentioned a bit of this when um, I was talking about jobs in general, right? I think the one thing that's very important to me, and what I tell everyone that asks me about career options and whatever is, you have to love it. If you don't love it, you're gonna hate it. Trust me, like trust me. So find something you truly, truly love and you're truly passionate about, and the world will give you answers. Like the, the world will show you the path, like where you want to go. Like as long as you're doing what you absolutely love and you're making the effort to not do the minimum, uh, you're making the effort to do what you actually want um, to, to do in that field. Uh, I have one more question, but before that question, something that occurred to me that I want to ask you, have you done any public speaking classes? Of course, you speak really well. So that's why I'm asking. No, I just like talking to people. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, no. Nice. Nice. Good. So a uh, last question, because you work in adaptive and immunology and you know, what do you think the techno the next technology in your mind is going to be, you know, what, that you've seen because you've been in this technology world, right? Um, Thermo Fisher. What, what's the next big technology that's a couple of technologies that are coming up? Yeah, I think, um, I think it depends on the space. Number one, okay. uh, we are seeing we are seeing quite a bit in the AI space take up. You know, just mm -hmm. making sense of all these data sets that are out there, whether it's right. um, you know data that Twenty Three and Me is collecting, uh -huh. that our business Adaptive collects. You know, doing immunosequencing, um, and how to make sense of that data and how to translate that data to something that's actionable, something that a patient can use or something that can be used for a patient, whether it's uh, therapy decisions or treatment guidance um, or better understanding, you know, what type of cancer they have really. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's one area um, that's really, I, I think is excelling quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, that's where we do a ton of our work with Microsoft, right? Like really building those AI models mm -hmm. who understand disease. Um, and that's, that's where we recently launched our T-Detect test for COVID, right? This, this test looks for T-cells uh, uh, for, for SARS-CoV-2. So the other area I think um, that I've been, I've been keeping an eye on it for some time. It's been around, like people have talked about it uh, frequently, but there hasn't been much progress in that space <clears throat> is definitely gonna be the field of proteomics. Hmm. And the reason I say that is because basics of biology, DNA makes RNA, RNA makes protein. 
just because you have DNA doesn't mean you have RNA, just because you have RNA doesn't mean you have protein. So protein is like the, the closest that you're gonna actually get to an answer, right? Like of, of the disease you're trying to study, of like a treatment you're trying to, to, to make, right? Um, so, so I think um, proteomics is, is definitely building I think I think they're trying to trying to get it to a place where the technology is something that can be um, simplified, for lack of better words, to where you know sequencing DNA sequencing and RNA sequencing is currently used. So I think that's really their journey that they're on. But um, but I think once they once they cracked that, it's um, I think it, it's it's got some potential definitely. Great. Yeah. So that's all I had. So thank you. Uh, we're uh, you know a little bit about the hour. But uh, thank you so much for coming. Uh, yeah. It was amazing to hear you. Uh, I've talked to you for so many years, but you know, today you were shining. <laughs> thank oh. you. Uh, no, I mean, I, I'm sure everybody I, else agrees. <laughs> um, no. I appreciate the opportunity. So, now it's it's always great to come and and you know speak to other like-minded scientists and researchers. Uh, I love talking to PhDs because I've been there and I. I, I just like connecting with people who are from the same field. Um, and, and, you know, please don't hesitate to reach out um, if, if you, uh, if, if you want to chat more or if there's anything I can um, share with you, um, please, please definitely don't, don't hesitate to reach out. But I, I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you so much for asking me questions that you did. Um, you know, it, it, uh, it gives me an opportunity to think as well, right? Like, it's like, oh yeah, like I, I did that. And so, um, so I appreciate the, the opportunity as well. Um, thank you again. Thank you. A network should last a lifetime. Let us help you create lasting professional relationships with our world-class mentors through the Biopatrika Industry Mentorship Program. A strategic guidance program unlike no other, full of expert interviews, industry internship opportunities, CV writing, inflection point analysis, life maps, and of course, the gateway to your dream career. For a limited time only, all our services are freely available for you as we truly want you to succeed. Mm -hmm.